0: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Isaiah 61, the epistle lesson for the second Sunday after Christmas, is distinctive because it is spoken in the first person. It doesn't say, the Messiah is coming, it says, I am the Messiah. In the words of Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the passage that Jesus read and preached about in his first act of public ministry in Luke chapter 4. Jesus read this passage and then said, Today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. That is to say, Jesus is the Messiah, and the Spirit of the Lord is upon him to do all those things that Isaiah mentions. The promises of Isaiah chapter 61 are clothed in the Old Testament concept of the Jubilee year every 50th year was supposed to be a year of Jubilee in Israel. Land that had been sold to pay debts was supposed to be returned to its original owner. Those who had sold themselves into slavery to pay their debts were supposed to be freed. And in various other ways in the Jubilee year, people were supposed to be given a fresh start. The evidence suggests that the Jubilee year was not consistently observed in Israel, and this is part of the failure of the Old Covenant. Thus, Jesus began his ministry by saying, in essence, the Jubilee year is here, now. It is significant that we read Isaiah 61 in proximity to the secular new year, when people make resolutions to break free from captivity to old patterns of behavior. Resolutions tend to suffer the same fate as the Old Testament Jubilee year. It comes with bold promise, but almost always fails to live up to the promise. And this is not merely a coincidence. The secular new year fails for the same reason the old covenant failed. They are both rooted in the attempt of human nature to rise above captivity to sin by resolve and willpower. The New Testament refers to the desires of human nature as the flesh. And the captivity of the flesh to sin is described by St. Paul in Romans chapter 7, where he writes, For I know that nothing... Good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. Now, clarification is needed here. To say that fallen human nature cannot perform the good it desires, does not mean we can never do any good thing. Captivity to the flesh means that we cannot perfect ourselves. We cannot subdue all sinful and selfish thoughts, and we cannot obtain forgiveness on our own. We cannot conquer death, and we cannot attain the true end or telos that God intends for his people. The old covenant and the secular new year fail because they lack the presence of the one upon whom the spirit rests. Things don't become new just because it is January 1st or just because we have a moment of inspiration in which we desire them to be so. True renewal can only happen when the Messiah bestows upon us the gift of the spirit by which he makes all things new. Our liturgy and our faith are filled with language that speaks about this renewal through the Holy Spirit. However, many Christians experience frustration in their attempts to change. Many people experience God's presence and power in the early stages of their lives of faith, only to experience frustration when the glow of the experience fades and old temptations and old failures return. People often assume that change through faith will come in a sudden and miraculous way in response to prayer. This expectation is intensified in a consumer culture where faith tends to be viewed as a product that is supposed to make us happier. Both the timing and the goal of faith tend to be defined by the world. The change we are promised through faith is growth and our ability to love God and growth in our ability to love others, both with a pure heart. Also, we're promised that we will grow into the image of Christ, grow from the spiritual infancy into spiritual maturity. These changes take time and effort. In the initial stages of our growth, we may not feel happy at all, for it is our sharing in the cross that leads us to our sharing in the resurrection. This requires the death of the old man before the new man can become fully formed. The word grace is often contrasted in faith with the word work. However, grace does not free us from the need to work at our faith. Rather, God's grace makes our labor fruitful. We are not saved from work or pain, we are saved from futility. In Christ, our pain becomes purposeful. Before the first sin, Adam and Eve worked in the garden. Their work naturally produced fruit, crops. Separation from God through sin made their work fruitless. After the fall, God told Adam that as he worked the ground, both thorns and thistles it will bring forth for you. The baptismal gift of the Holy Spirit reconnects us with God and makes our labor fruitful again. And this dynamic is captured by Philippians chapter 2, which says, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Our labor in the life of prayer opens our lives up to God's grace so that God's grace can do its natural work in us. This is like the way a farmer tends a crop or a parent nurtures a child. In both cases, their work is facilitating the growth of a natural process. The fruitful labor of the new creation is rooted in a new pattern of work. Work in the Old Covenant consisted of six days of labor, working towards a day of rest, the Sabbath, which the Old Covenant never achieved. Jesus the Messiah came anointed with the Holy Spirit to complete the work of the Old Covenant. On Good Friday, he said of that work, it is finished. Then he entered the Sabbath rest. Jesus rose on Sunday, which is the first day of the new week of the new creation. He appeared to his followers, most of whom had failed in their resolve and abandoned him and he greeted them by saying, peace. Then he gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness and the gift of the Spirit enabled them to rise above their previous failures and to begin to live in a new way. This freedom was not easily learned. For example, St. Peter who denied Jesus on Monday, Thursday. We see his growth, and he eventually died for the faith. However, we also know that St. Peter had further stumbles. See, for example, the conflict he had with St. Paul in Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, where St. Paul points out his hypocrisy. We grow into our freedom the way a child learns to walk, with many stumbles and falls along the way. The key to change is persevering in the pattern of the new covenant. Our life always begins on Sunday, the Lord's Day, the first day of the new week of the new creation. Jesus meets us at the altar as we come with our weaknesses and failures and says to us again, Your sins are forgiven. Rise and walk. We receive again the blessing of peace and are renewed again by the Holy Spirit. Our renewal continues each day in our prayer. Prayer is always a return to grace. Life in Christ always begins with grace. Our renewal is aided by the communion of the saints. We experience grace as we forgive each other as Christ has forgiven us and as we serve each other with our gifts of the Spirit. From this foundation of grace, we are free to establish new patterns of behavior. We must work to establish new patterns because our old patterns are established in our muscle memory, and take time to reorient. To change, we must persevere through resistance, temptation, and discomfort. But but change always begins with grace. We must return to grace, and then go out to practice the new things, and then return to grace. As we stick with this process, Over the months and years and decades, we rise above the natural limitations of the flesh and become God's new people. Jesus is the Messiah, the one who has the spirit, the one who sets us free. Consequently, we should avoid as Christians the pattern of the secular new year, the pattern of the old Adam. Instead, let us resolve to embrace more fully the grace of Christmas and the daily renewal and the Holy Spirit that Jesus gives us. As Jesus said in Revelation, Behold, I make all things new. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.